Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This is episode number 1138 with Dr. Emerin Meyer. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. I've got a big announcement. The School of Greatness is available on American public television. That's right. When I started my podcast, I had zero listeners and I kept going because I wanted to help people get the information that I didn't have access to growing up. Now, not only have we become one of the top podcasts in the world, but I'm excited to tell you that the School of Greatness show is on TV and you can go to lewishouse.com watch to see when it's available on your TV. Every person tuning in really helps us right now. So if you're able to also share this with anyone you think would find it valuable that doesn't consume podcasts regularly, that would be greatly appreciated. Again, that's lewishouse.com slash watch. Check it out now. My guest today is Dr. Emerin Meyer, and I'm so excited about this one. He's one of the world's foremost experts on the gut-brain connection, and for over the past 40 years, his research and published work has offered groundbreaking evidence of the critical connection between the brain and the gut. He's the executive director of the G. Oppenheimer Center for Neurobiology of Stress and Resilience and the co-director of the Digestive Disease Research Center at the University of California at Los Angeles. He's written a new book called The Gut Immune Connection, How Understanding the Connection Between Food and Immunity Can Help Us Regain Our Health. And our conversation was so powerful that I wanted to break it up into two different parts. So look out for part two coming later this week. In this episode, we discuss the biggest triggers for inflammation, the foods we should eat and avoid to improve our gut health, why we've become so addicted to sugar and how that affects our body, whether our brain or gut health affects our body more, how our digestive system functions, and so much more. And if you're enjoying this and you know someone that could be inspired by this, please share this with a friend. And if this is your first time here, click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else that you're listening to this right now, as I'm so pumped about this one and I can't wait for you to listen to it. Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about our guest, Dr. Emron Mayer. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Very, very, very here, Louis. of course. I'm very excited about this because I've been fascinated by the mind, the brain, and now more and more as I'm researching this about the brain and the gut connection. And my friend, our friend, Sean Stevenson, said, you got to bring this guy on who's been doing this for 40 years, studying and researching and applying the intersection between the brain and the gut uh, and, and how it all connects to ending stress, inflammation, optimizing the body, feeling better and all these things. So you've been doing this for a long time. Now you're coming out into the world and revealing and sharing these, these lessons and these findings from the science that you're doing and the research you're doing. And I'm curious, in your studies, what are the biggest triggers for inflammation in the body? Is it environment? Is it what we consume? Is it toxins on our body that we're putting on ourselves? Is it stress hormones? What are these biggest triggers for inflammation? 
Well, I mean, you you know, you listed them all. So okay. I mean, I mean, so, so the way the body works, it's it's a it it integrates influences from multiple sources, particularly the central nervous system, the 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 brain, um, and it's sort of like this supercomputer applying artificial intelligence uh-huh. to these influences, and then it extracts patterns um, and decides on relevance and salience, and based on that salience, it makes responses. You know, in terms of this needs to be, I, we need to adjust this system, we need to adjust this system. Um, and it's doing obviously a phenomenal job because a lot of the influences that we're exposed to, the brain in evolution is never encountered. You know, the, 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 the chemicals, the kind of food that we eat, we, we never, humans never were exposed to that kind of food. The visual experiences, um, you know, so, so the, yeah, the brain... And the, and the brain gut system, because I really always like to link, keep those together, and we can talk about this later. Uh-huh. Why um, is is a master in this, um, you know, in this computation of salience and responding to it. Mm-hmm. And that system has worked so well that it's kept us alive as a species, and um, you know, we're, we're we're thriving. I'm I'm, I'm not sure what's happening now. The salience. There's some sort of a mismatch now between the salience assessment and what's good mm-hmm. for for us on the planet, but um, you know there will be corrections in that as well. I'm right. sure. Right. Now, do you think the is the brain influencing the body more, or is the gut influencing the brain more? Um. So you could, you know, I've I've, I've compared this to to a central government and local governments in the states and counties. And uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of influence that goes, that comes from the body and um, um, that plays a big role in our emotions, you know, uh, emotional states. Um, and uh, as, as I'll talk about, you know, there's a lot of stuff now going on with this low-grade immune system activation that we all, most people are now exposed to because of our diet and and that's a stream of information that constantly goes to the brain. Mm-hmm. It you don't feel it. You don't. Um, um, it doesn't hurt. Doesn't generate any any symptoms. Um, but over time, it does change your brain structurally really? and, and and functionally. So a big influence um, subliminally that goes to the brain all the time. And also a big thing. So people have said, you know, we can't. Yes, we can generate artificial intelligence, but it won't have emotions because it doesn't mm-hmm. have the body mm. to, to send this constant uh, you know, signals to it. But then on the other hand, I mean, the brain is obviously the most sophisticated computer in the universe up to now. And it, it, does, it, it sends signals to the body all the time. There's a part of the nervous system called the autonomic nervous system that reaches pretty much every cell in your body. Um, you have a sense. You have a sensory part, the vagus nerve, that reports anything that goes on anywhere constantly to the brain, and then the brain has a system to respond to that. And again, it can influence every cell um, in distinct patterns. It doesn't always kick in because it would be overwhelmed. It mm-hmm. kicks in when it's necessary, when okay. there's a threat or when it's you know. I'm curious about. Uh, I don't know if you studied this, but I'm curious about when human beings look themselves in the mirror and they see themselves, and they shape an identity, they perceive an identity, and maybe they look chiseled. They're like this Greek god that's just chiseled, they're athletic, but they don't believe they're 
healthy or fit for whatever reason. Their identity has made them look like they're not, they don't, they don't love themselves or they don't believe that they look good or whatever it is. Is there anything to play around the identity that we shape for ourselves, the image of ourselves, and it making us either healthier or more susceptible to diseases or a weakened immune system? Is this, am I out there too much by asking this, but I'm curious. Yeah, no, no. So, I mean, this is definitely something that happens a lot. I mean, to a lot of people that their identity is, it's obviously shaped early on in life, uh -huh. you know, typically. Um, there could also be genetic factors, but most of it will happen uh, early in life. The, the feedback you get from your parents and and from your friends, if that's generally positive or or negative. Um, if it's negative, you know, you can have two effects. One is it can really damage your self-identity and your self-worth, or you could rebel against it and say, I'm not going to accept this. You know, mm -hmm. I'm creating my own, uh, my, uh, my own identity. Um, I, I think it will have, almost certainly, it, it does have, I mean, anything that happens in, in, in the brain in terms of these emotional, like, uh, or uh, identity, I, I, like in my own research, I've always been more concerned about the emotional influences on, on the body. So any, any emotion that you experience either chronically or, mm. so, so more of these emotions that are present all the time, background yes. emotions. That that has a mirror image in your body. Really? Um, so give me an example. If you're thinking, if you're feeling an emotion of not enough or lack or sick or stress, if you're feeling and thinking that consistently, then the body will mirror that? The body will, will mirror it. And um, so I focus primarily on the gut, you know, because it's a kind of a unique organ because it has all these other things in it, not just the gut wall, but the immune system and the nervous system of the gut and, and, and hormonal system. But that will, so this is not separate. You know, this is like, um, just as some people, you look at them and you look at their face and you can tell what's going on, you mm. know, if you're good in that. The, you know, the furs between your eyebrows and, you know, it's, it's um, unless you're a poker player, you, <laughs> you, you exhibit these emotions in, in your face. But the same thing happens in every part of your body. You know, your your heart and your. Um, I'm not sure about organs like you know, the, like the kidneys and the liver. They're, they're not they're sort of more mechanical devices or mm -hmm. chemical devices. Not as much these computational. As so, the heart is also the heart is basically a pump, and uh, you know, but the gut is something that has is is in a different <clears throat> realm. You know it very sensitive to emotions and i would say the gut is. is that why you feel butterflies you feel yeah. sick when you see something you feel it in your gut yeah and also this self-identity i'm <clears throat> you know quite honestly before you ask the question i never even thought about this but i'm i'm absolutely I'm convinced, fascinated by this I'm, I'm i'm absolutely convinced that your gut has a mirror image of your your sense of identity really yeah i, I think if you have if you have an inferiority complex, that will affect the gut. And now, you know, since we talked a lot about the gut microbiome that, that, that lives inside the gut, um, which communicates very closely with the gut, <clears throat> even that system gets these messages, you know, from, from, from the brain. And, um, and, and this is different. So if, if you, you know, are threatened by a wild animal, you will have a, a peak in your stress response and within a couple of seconds or minutes, it will go down and you know be normal again. 
with these with these background emotions or something like a sense of identity that's with you all the time uh-huh. you know always you're always. always thinking and feeling like i'm not enough or yeah. imposter syndrome or something and right? and it's it's ingrained in your your unconscious you know it it comes out in your dreams uh-huh. um, so what is what does that do to the the body or the immune system if you're kind of constantly thinking these things or have a belief system that I'm not enough or comparing to someone else or something else or in lack or in scarcity what does that do to the the immune system the gut the body yeah so I'm talking about the immune system if you have this um, you know I I talked about this 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 acute threat or this acute emotion of an acute stress it will temporarily increase the activity of your immune system because um like spike up cortisol or something yeah, or yeah. um of your of your stress system gotcha um, but if it's if it's chronic um it has a totally different effect on it so often the opposite effect um and it will i mean there's there's many studies coming out on this now you know that um even early adverse life events that play, play a big role in shaping this identity um have been found to have an effect on the gene expression pattern in your immune cells in some of your immune cells which in an adult person so you can there's a memory in these immune cells wow. you know that reflects what happened to you at age of you know 5 7 yeah, 9 whatever yeah. and and that obviously shapes when these immune cells are called into action that shapes the immune response There's a, that, there's a trigger that you'll feel yeah. when you see something yeah. that reflects what you went through, yeah. right? So there's a memory, there's an immune memory. I mean, there's clearly also this brain memory in our unconscious. <clears throat> um, it's probably the way the body is organized that some of the systems, particularly the nervous system and immune system, can form these memories um, that then later really influence many functions in your body and then also your your behavior. You know the. So how do we how do we heal these things if we have this memory of something from the past in our immune system or in our DNA and our cells how do we heal or move beyond it so it doesn't hold us back Well there's this this there's different ways you know there's um there's some people that do this on their own you know they pull mm-hmm. themselves out of it um there's other people that um you know going to psychoanalysis mm-hmm. so I mentioned in my first book you know i i went through jungian dream analysis for several years at some point in my life um during sort of an existential crisis and found that extremely helpful connecting to i mean just watching your dreams for a while and realize some are recurring i mean those are the ones that obviously have a big influence on on because they're there all the time mm-hmm. and um, so if you imagine every night you know th- these experiences are recalled and even during your sleep affect you know systems within your body so that's another way um um there's ways today you know cognitive behavioral therapy yeah. doesn't deal with the roots of it they just change your behavior it's another way of dealing with it so forget about reversing or or patching up with um what what happened earlier on and then there's the most modern ways the psychedelics you know i'm right. i'm not an an expert on this but i've gotten really interested in that um for a variety of reasons because when i first came to UCLA for for training i was fascinated by the, the, this whole counterculture you know there were workshops in in Esalen and by the organized by the Ohio Foundation 
And I listened to many of these leading figures at the time, you know, giving these workshops. And so this was in the in the early 70s, you know, uh-huh. and, and they, well, early, <clears throat> early 80s, I'd say, when I experienced it. And um, they talked about, you know, psychoanalysis with LSD or with ketamine and um, and then it was completely, you know, closed off for science for, for decades. Mm. And, and now it's coming back, it's coming back. rapidly, you know. And um, there's some fascinating stuff coming out. I've, you know, and also in my travels um, during college in South America, I've stayed with some of these tribes on the Orinoco River. Mm-hmm. And um, they use, um, you know, the same substance, a similar substance to what's Plant in medicine. ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, and we've seen, you know, how they get into these trance states. And so now, you know, fast forward 35, 40 years, uh, I find it fascinating that this is now back in the mainstream, you know, mm-hmm. and it will. So this is just a way of removing the control, if you say it in a simplistic way, removing the control that we have about prefrontal cortex to suppress these things. You loosen that control and then this stuff will bubble up, maybe very painful. I think you shouldn't do it without the guidance of an experienced, right. uh, you know, shaman or psychotherapist. But that's another way of, of processing. And uh, now the majority of people go through life without ever dealing with this. You know, right. they they get sick, they they get their, their heart attack, their diabetes. They never think about this. You know, so it's uh, wow. I'm curious about. The gut, what is, when you say the gut, what is included in that? What are all the elements of gut? Yeah, so let's start with, you know, when I went to medical school, the gut was basically the, the, the digestive organ. The digestive know, organ. organ. So okay. something that we know very well from the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, large intestine. Each of those regions has a special um, task. Um, and the ultimate goal, we thought, is the breaking down of food into absorbable mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, components that are then um, provide the nutrients for, for, for our body. That, that was the thought. But then, um, you know, when I came to UCLA as a, initially as a research fellow, uh, worked in a lab, um, late John Walsh, and so they found at the time that there were molecules in the gut that somewhat didn't fit that that description. You know, there were there were neuro, uh, neurotransmitters, and um, so make a long story short. Transmitters um, from the brain to the gut. Same same molecules. Yeah, yes. some, and the receptors, and and then people thought about um, why is that, and uh, it was the discovery of a nervous system in in the gut. You know, 150 million neurons. Um, that are there and, and hmm. very similar in their... 150 million neurons in the gut. In, in the gut. Sandwiched. So if you look at a gut, you wouldn't see it. The gut has several layers. And in between these layers, there's a, a net of nerve cells that wraps around it. But because the gut is so long, you know, it adds up with the numbers. And um, the main function of that system is really to completely regulate the gut in, in an animal model you can take out the gut put it in the in a test tube and this gut will still have the same functions peristalsis and secretion as it has when it's connected to you know the rest of the body you can put it in a tube and it'll still like process food it'll yeah, still yeah. run it through the same way yeah so what does that tell us so that, so it tells us th- that 
that gut or this little gut in the brain is really the, the primary regulator of our gut functions, the digestive functions. But um, then there was another sort of realization that these same, you know, these same transmitters were also present within the brain um, as, as in the gut. That caused a lot of surprise, you know, that why, why would you have that? Then again, the long story, the evolution, in evolution, we started out the most primitive organisms with that gut brain. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host and then gradually as animals this was marine creatures tiny marine creatures in the oceans as we as in evolution polar animals develop with a head then some of these nerves migrated to the head and formed, you know, at the beginning of the, the central nervous system. And then there was some division of labor at some point that before the gut brain did everything because there was no head and no other functions, no other organs. Um, so <clears throat> later, our big brains then took over the regulation, mm. uh, the response to the environment, the coordination of organs within the body, um, and the digestive side was left to the the brain in the in the in the gut enteric nervous system but that means there's a very intimate relationship between these two you know more than with any other organ in the body mm. I mean, yeah clearly the heart gets a lot of signals from the brain when we're stressed or the blood vessels the blood pressure goes up but it's nothing compared to what goes on in this um, multi-lane highway between the brain and and, and the gut really you know, so and um, yeah, I would say, so a lot of people then think, you know, are our emotions processed by the gut's uh, nervous system or um, that's very not the case. I think there's still the, the more sophisticated things happen at the brain level, okay. but it's there's this constant signal, um, you know, in, in a bi-directional way that... Um, like, when we see something, we, or we feel triggered, or we see a threat, or see something we like or we don't like, and then we feel it in our gut, is it first processed through the eyes into the brain and then connects down to the gut, or is it we see something and it goes from the gut up to the brain? No, I would say this happens first in, in the brain, and within milliseconds, it's there's a, there's a signal down. Instant, right. And as you said, it can be good or bad, you know, this arousal mechanism. Yeah, it can be so, pleasure or pain or stress, right? Yeah, it can be you go on your first date and you have people talk about butterflies in their stomach. And it can be when you have to give a speech the first time. Yeah, and you're nervous. Or an actor, you know, so it's, it's the, same, the same mechanism. It's, it's, yeah. it's value neutral, you know, that, that arousal. Oh. But then there's also emotion-specific signals, you know, that happen. That, um, so anger, anxiety, um, 
we don't, we don't know about something like jealousy. You know, that hasn't really been studied, but anger and mm-hmm. um, fear, um, that has been studied. We know exactly the patterns that happen in every level of, of, the, of the gut mm-hmm. when you have these emotions. And um, one of the reasons that these emotions then hang around for a long time, it, it's not like you can, can turn them off. Anger, you know, so some people train themselves, as, you know, to, be, to have more equanimity and not, not get carried away by the anger. But a lot of people, that anger sticks with them or the fear. And then um, that's because it reverberates in these gut circuits. Really? And between the gut and the brain and, you know, sets up this vicious cycle. Um, and the brain cannot easily shut it off unless you train it, train yourself to do it. How do you train yourself to let go of anger? Um, well, it's a lot of the meditative techniques, yes. of, you know, mindfulness that you... Um, it's the practice. It doesn't happen overnight. It's like a, a, a practice of doing it over it's, and over. It's the practice. You experience that emotion and you train yourself to let it go, you know, to, to see it. Away. Yeah, not hold on to it. No, yeah. not you studied on. Buddhism for a while as well, right? Or are you? Yeah, and uh, this is something I've always been fascinated by. Um, looking back, I don't even know why I was interested. In, it's probably my own personal issues, <laughs> you know. Um, but that stuck with me, that interest, and um, I find now more than ever the the wisdom that is in these Buddhist concepts, both in terms of emotional regulation. I mean, who would have thought that mindfulness based stress reduction would become a um, you know, a commonly used, uh, like a household name, you know, or an app. Well, yeah, like, exactly. like, like when I was first interested, it was an esoteric thing. People say, oh, yeah, it's crazy, you know, Buddhism. And, uh, In the last decade, it's become the mainstream, you know, mindfulness meditation. And that all has to do with these concepts that, that, that we just talked about, you know, to train yourself not to be stuck with these emotions. Because these emotions, that if they hang around, as we now said <clears> several times, it's not just within your brain. They circulate through your body and the whole, through body, your, the whole body, and it's it has. You know, it's a very unhealthy situation to, to be in that state. Now, how I've been studying a lot of breath work over the last four or five years. I've studied, you know, to become a meditation instructor in India. Then I've been learning from Wim Hof. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Wim Hof and his yeah, practice, yeah, his yeah. practices. There's the yoga practices in general of breath work. Uh, how much connection is there between the way we breathe, the, the style of breathing, the, the shortness or the length and the calmness, the intensity of breathing in affecting the immune system and the gut-brain connection? How, is there science around breath? Yeah, there's, there, there's a science. And I have to admit, I'm not an expert on, on the various techniques that people have been using. So we have been using in our work the simplest form, the abdominal breathing, um, or diaphragmatic breathing, where you, you basically just switch from your typical adult pattern. So if you have 10 people and you tell them take a deep breath, they all take it into their chest. Yes. You know, this is the... Um, and to switch that pattern to uh, uh, inhaling into your body, in, in, uh, into your stomach, um, does wonders. And the reason it is because the diaphragm is closely connected and, and the lung closely connected to the vagus nerve with, with the brain, with these emotional centers within the brain. So if, you, if you're stressed and you um, consciously now tell your diaphragm to go into a pattern that is associated with relaxation, 
it sends so the body sends signals to the brain now um, that are incompatible with with the, with the stress perception. Mm. And if you are good um, in, in 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 doing this, train <clears throat> yourself, then you will be able to overcome it quickly. You know, and really. So, I've been doing this again. You know, um, you asked me why I started these things. I, I mean, I had some <laughs> some issues when I was younger. Where I thought this was somebody taught me, a psychologist taught me this, and I've been practicing this for for sixty years. You know, I do it in the car if if I have to give a talk um, in the car to the, and I've gotten so good in it that within seconds I can switch it. You know, so what is so, the practice? Yeah, you know, with um, well, you the initial practice is you just you know spend um, like fifteen minutes three times a day. Uh, lying down and, and breathing and counting your breaths and then combining it with, uh, with uh, the, the mindfulness practice that anytime you exhale, you let the negative emotions of anxiety go. Um, and the, the only focus is on your, on your breath and mm. nothing else. You, you clear your mind of any uh, distracting thoughts. And um, then if you do this long enough, it takes you a second to do this and you feel the warmth in your stomach. It's an interesting thing. So it comes back to the gut. So what what right. happens, you know, when when you do this, and why why does you get this? I mean, why do you get this feeling of warmth and uh, relaxation in your in your abdomen, which and then it sends signals it, to the it, brain. It sends signals to the brain, and it and forces it the brain to to change to shift to shift. The only the only humans that do this spontaneously are are young kids, infants. If you watch, um, you know. A, a child, they breathe into their belly spontaneously, automatically, a automatically, yeah. and <clears throat> with becoming a teenager and being adult, it switches to the chest. You know? Why is that? Why do we shift from our natural state to an unnatural state? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. We don't teach our children that. You know, it's 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 something that happens. Maybe because as an adult we go into a more stressful interaction, confrontational interaction with the world. Um, I, I also can answer the, this question if you ask me: Do women breathe more through their belly than men do? You know, my guess would be yes. Mm. <laughs> but um, um, you know, because women are generally more in touch with their with their emotional side, mm -hmm. and. Um, but it's 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 something we have this biofeedback device with us. You don't need to hook yourself up to, to electrodes right, right. or to EEG. You know, you, you can just sense it. And uh, yeah, I would say this should be something should be trained in in um, kindergarten. In kindergarten, yeah, yeah, yeah. like many other things, like a healthy diet. <laughs> yeah. You know, so absolutely. Speaking of healthy diet, when we have sugar or processed food or something that is not a whole healthy foods. What is that doing to the brain, uh, to the gut brain and the brain connection? The, the moment we intake something that is processed, sugary, alcohol, something that we know is not the healthiest consumption. What does yeah. that do to the gut? How does it affect the immune system and the brain? Yeah, so there's a, there's a, a short-term, a quick effect, and there's something that, that takes longer. So the short-term effect... We have a lot of receptors in our mouths, you know, like sweet taste receptors yes. and bitter taste receptors <clears throat> that um, also receptors that sense texture. Um, 
So that's the, that's the immediate reaction. The brain gets this immediately. And um, it forms memories of this and it forms the gain of these receptors is determined again early on in life. You know, your sweet preference is programmed early yeah. on in life. And we do this extensively with our kids Ugh. that any positive event like birthdays or celebrations, lots of sugar, you know. Oh, right. And, and so they uh, want it more and more. Yeah. And, Wow. And, and then, for example, in, in, in Mexico with the former Mexican president, um, Fox, who was also the CEO of Coke. In, oh, in, man. So he, they promoted, you know, sweet drinks like Coke um, to, to mothers with young children to oh. calm down their, their, their children. So they, one of the reasons for their big obesity problem is that, that their taste preferences have been programmed, you know, to... Now, this program is not permanent. You know, you can change this as an adult. If you go to a, yeah. to a sugar-free diet, um, you will, initially it's hard because you have to overcome that set point. Um, but you'll notice that um, uh, after a short period of time, a few months, your sensitivity to sugar changes. You yes. know, and, and you actually develop an aversity to sugary foods, which is a very interesting mm -hmm. experience. Same thing can be said about spices, uh, bitter taste. You know, as kids, we hate bitter taste. As adults, we, we love some drinks that are mm -hmm. really bitter. Um, um, and, and these receptors, quite interesting, they're not just in our mouth, but they're also in our gut. You mm. know, um, Obviously, in our gut, they don't transmit conscious information. So you, if, if, if you... So if I infuse something sweet into your intestine, you wouldn't know it's, if it's sweet or not. You know, really, it's more through the tongue. It's connection? it's 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 the tongue and the uh, you know the the rest of your oral cavity. Huh. So but if I just put it into my gut, I wouldn't know it's sweet. Then you wouldn't notice it, but it still has generated signals back to the brain. I'd feel probably more sick than anything. I'd yeah. probably feel like uh, because when you intake it, it tastes good, and then ten minutes later, you're like, oh, my stomach hurts. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Why is that? Um, Why is something that tastes good going in but hurts you? Well, after? because yeah, because different mechanisms kick in. Um, you know, your 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 mouth. So the first impression is is all about the hedonic aspect of food. You know, it it's the thing that that nature has designed us to. You know, go after sweet berries or to so there wasn't that much sugar around. You know. Mm -hmm. Right. Like a million years ago. Right. So whenever human ancestors found something sweet, they wanted to make sure they devoured it. Was, it was rare, too. It, right? it was rare. It was scarce. So it, it's, it's, now it it's abundant. It's in everything. It's in everything. And um, so what has happened now, it's no longer an adaptive mechanism to find these important things, but it's, it's, it's a maladaptive mechanism that causes all kinds of you know, downstream uh, mm. problems. There's another thing about fat, you know, the same thing, fat is this hedonic quality, you know, like butter, you know, people love butter, you love, you know, people love chocolates with a lot of, um, you know, fat in it, mm -hmm. and not the, the, the just the, the dark the bitter, chocolate. The bitter kind, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's another one, and it's another one of these adaptive mechanisms where you want to have, when things were rare, you want, you were craving for this, you know, high caloric, Mm -hmm. These high caloric substances, sugar and fat, but when it gets downstream, other things happen. So um, mm. it changes. So both the sugar and the fat changes the receptors that sense it in in a way. Um, 
that, for example, fat that goes down into your in, uh, intestine, um, they desensitize the vagus nerve. So normally the vagus nerve generates a feeling of satiety and fullness. So you don't want to you stop eating. If you're on a high-fat diet, these receptors get desensitized. And you no longer get that feeling. So now you can keep on eating mm. um, because the feedback mechanism that shuts off this is no longer. And the same with the sweet taste receptors. Mm -hmm. You know, it does not. So our diet, with having, uh, you know, packed it with these these high caloric, high density foods, um, has hijacked the system and it's moved into an opposite direction. Also, the microbes. You know, so. By eating these these kinds of foods that are so overabundant in our diet now, um, you select a different population of of, of, of microbes, and uh, it's particularly true about. So we we crave the sugar, but not the complex carbohydrates, which are the good form of of, of energy that we right. should be eating. Um, so. Sugar is an easily digestible, you know, immediately digestible and absorbable uh, carbohydrate. The complex carbohydrates, which are mainly in plants, um, they cannot be absorbed quickly. They need the microbes. So if you're on a diet that's high in these absorbable sugar molecules um, and deficient in the, in the non-absorbable carbohydrates, you select a population of microbes that is, does not produce beneficial things in in your uh, in your gut so mm. you will ultimately steps of, of, of events create a uh, you know it's been called a, a, a leaky gut so right. a, a, a gut that um, leads to the activation of the immune system mm. in the gut that is not not adaptive so a lot of things that are happening today have become maladaptive you know evolution has designed us is this optimal machine that was perfect for hundreds of thousands of years, but we have changed the environment so dramatically yeah. that that evolution never anticipated that. So, so now we have this big mismatch of the diet um, that feels good initially, but has a lot of downstream negative effects making mm. us um, more more depressed. Um, but but also most importantly, you know, engages the immune system in in a way that then then affects the brain. So some people with subset of patients with depression have an immune component, and really? brain inflammation. But then also with these neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's. So um, yeah, diet plays a big role at multiple levels, you know, and. Um, the, 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 what we have to realize that what we were designed for, uh, these optimal survival machines, we have to fundamentally change that concept. You know, we can no longer um, follow that and trust nature that, that will take care of this. We have to really consciously change it because we're not, um, uh, otherwise we just continue to run into the health issues and, mm. uh, that, that we're facing now. What would you say are the, the five foods we should be eating that'll optimize our, our brain gut connection. If, so if we could if we could choose these five foods consistently, what would you recommend? Well, they would all fall into um, oh, the majority would fall into the category of um, of plant based foods. So it could be leafy vegetables, uh, roots, 
seeds, nuts, um, um, and um, and and a big variety of, of, of these foods. Not so not so if you just eat tomatoes or if you just eat kale, nothing else. It, it won't it won't give you that benefit. Really. Um, and and the reason for that is. I mean, this is what I push, you know, in 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 in, in my book. We we should really refocus our diet on feeding the optimal food to our microbes. To the everything, microbes, uh, the ev- microbiome, or the yeah, microbes. Yeah. yeah, everything else will happen by default because um, we are designed. Um, our ancestors lived on a diet, a very low caloric density. They were harvesting and gathering. Um, you know, herbs and nuts and seeds and tubers and, and, and things that were around them, all low, very low caloric density, very low sugar in it, lots of fiber. Right. Um, initially, humans weren't even able to process them. Then with cooking, we were able to break down some of the fibers. But if you think about it, the design of our bodies and our digestive system was really made with um, dealing with these types of foods that, you know, people encountered uh, hundreds of thousands of years ago. In, 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 na- in nature. In nature. Yeah. So, you know, we had a very large um, large intestine, the, our fermenting system with all the microbes, um, and very little was absorbed in the small intestine. Um, and a lot of it happened, the, the, the salvage of calories happened by the microbes, mm. with the help of the microbes in the large intestine. We've completely reversed this. Now we have a diet that is 99% absorbed in the small intestine. What does that mean? Like that, 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 that means we've, we've taken out um, modern agriculture and modern... You mean because with like no fiber or something and then it's processed in the small intestine, but yeah. fiber is more in the large intestine? Yeah, it's taken out all the, most of the fiber molecules, so we don't eat uh, wild rice, but we eat the white rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we don't eat uh, the the types of potatoes, like the sweet potato, but we eat the, the potato, uh, there's just only white a few. White potato. Or yeah, the white potato or the French fried potato. Is right, called. right, right. That's the dominant form. <clears throat> the sweet potato is the better one. Yeah. And, and they've all been selected really based on, 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 on these taste preferences, you know, which, mm. which have taken us on, on, the, on, uh, on the wrong way. There's also a lot of molecules in plants in addition to the fiber that are non-absorbable. Um, these polyphenols or antioxidants, they don't, you know, they're not absorbable. They need the microbes to break them down. And then, um, so if you are on a diet that's deficient or very low in plant-based foods, um, you have a diet deficient in polyphenols and fiber. And so you you um, you know prevent your microbes to get their normal um, you know service or normal servings of, uh, of 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 foods and the microbes respond to that in a pattern that ultimately leads to shrinkage of the the the, the compromise of the gut barrier activation mm. of the immune system and um, so my lesson is always. You know, let's go back to a diet primarily that's optimized for, for the microbes. The microbes, which yeah. is in the large intestine. It was in the large intestine, and that will be the remedy for, you know, prevention of colon cancer, prevention really? of cardiovascular disease, 
probably most likely also prevention of Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. Diabetes. Yeah, and... yeah, all of those. Um, so what are those? So those foods to help prevent all those things are a big variety of leafy veggies, roots, seeds, nuts. What other foods were you mentioning? Um, so it's also a few seafoods. Um, you know, there's, there's mussels. Um, there's the small fish like anchovies. Um, um, like all the all the small fish that are basically the the, the bait for the big fish. Really? The small fish are, are still, there's several reasons for that. They're still abundant in the ocean. There's mm. no decrease or no uh, threat of extinction. Um, they also are the lowest on the food chain, so they don't have this accumulation of, of heavy metals and toxins. Interesting. They're going direct to the source, not being eaten by something else that's being eaten by yeah. something else. And, you know, they're, they're very popular in, huh. in, in, in the Mediterranean cuisine. Yeah. So if you go to Spain or Italy, you'll see them in the market. You know, yeah. go to restaurants. Here, it's hard to find them other than in canned form. Yeah, which is probably not the best form, is it? Or is it okay? I mean... Um, I can't answer that question, but it's the only one that's available right, here. Right. So, um, and there are companies that, you know, source these two um, sustainable fisheries in, in, in Spain that, that I would probably trust more than the, the marketing campaign mm -hmm. that, that, that you see here. Um, mussels also, um, you know, very low on the, on, on the food chain. Now, these, and then, you know, wild salmon. So wild salmon is a controversial thing because on the one side, if everybody switched to wild salmon, there would be none left. There, yeah. there, there's nothing left. So there, there are, again, a few sources where there's sustainable harvest of, of salmon. Um, they, um, you know, they're, they're typically more expensive than the farmed salmon. But the main health ingredients is omega-3 fatty acids mm -hmm. that are in all these. They're, they're in the small fish, they're in the, um, in the mussels, and they're in, in wild salmon. They're not in the... Um, the bigger fish. They, well, they're not in the bigger fish, and there's also, they're also not in the, in, in the, in, in the salmon that, um, uh, you know, in, that are farmed um, mm -hmm. because they get a totally different nutrition. They don't get the food that... So, I mean, ultimately, you know, these omega-3 fatty acids come from the algae and the small fish feed on the algae and mm -hmm. then the, the salmon feeds right. on it. Right. Um, so if you remove that, you know, that source of omega-3 from the plants, then your fish will have a much lower uh, concentration of these health-promoting molecules. And What does omega-3 do for the gut-brain connection? Um, so omega-3 fatty acids have always been, for a long time, been found to be um, promoting for, uh, for, for brain health in general, you know, both the, the growth and the function and the... Uh, there's now also studies that these um, omega-3 fatty acids have an influence on the microbes. Um, and I can't tell you exactly, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably complicated because, um, sort of, I mean, I hope this is not too complicated for you, no. for, for your, for your uh, listeners. So when you ingest fats, they are processed in our small intestine. There's bile acids that make them absorbable. Um, then the kind of bile acids that are produced from the type of, the, depending on the type of fat that, that you eat, 
and there's probably a large variety of these of these mm -hmm. spinal acids. So the pattern of these spinal acids that are produced then um, stored in your liver in, in your gallbladder, excreted into a small intestine, they are metabolized by your microbes. Mm. Depending on what microbes you have, they break them down into reabsorbable molecules that then okay. get back in the circulation. So what ends up back in the circulation, even though it starts out with facilitating fat absorption, once they get back into your circulation, they have a totally different function. They become signaling molecules to all your organs, including the brain. So okay. now in Alzheimer's disease, for example, uh, we know that short-chain fatty, um, that not short-chain fatty acid, that, um, that secondary vital acids have play a role in the neurodegeneration. So if you eat the, the fats that contain omega-3 or omega-6 or other or saturated fatty acids, uh, that has an effect on this, on this system, which ultimately gets back into your blood and signals to your organs. Mm. So it's, it's complicated, but I mean, everything, once you get into the brain-gut microbiome axis, gets complicated. Of course. <laughs> it's, yeah. not, it's not linear. It's, it's usually circular processes. Um, and there's some unexpected players in this that we, you know, in our typical nutrition education don't really Interesting. pay attention or, or medicine, you know. What would you say are the main, uh, the key factors to destroying our gut? What what would those be? Is it just all unhealthy food? Is it certain types of food? Is it other substances, drugs, or alcohol? Or what's what are the main things destroying it? Yeah. So you know, destroying that, that causes our gut. leaky gut and you know yeah, inflammation. Yes. Yeah. So things. so yeah. The <clears throat> so the factors that are worst for gut health, I would say, is it. Point number one, diet, you know, um, and there it's the standard American diet with the deficiencies in... The SAD diet, right? The, the SAD, that's a kind of a yeah. really appropriate acronym. <laughs> yeah. um, that, that's deficient in all the components that are essential for a healthy microbiome and ultimately then for a healthy gut barrier. And uh, so then there's there's... There's other things, there's toxins that come with the food and chemicals. Uh, so even if you're a vegetarian, you know, and you don't pay attention to where your food comes from, you may be absorbing a lot of really? stuff that, uh, that are um, herbicides or pesticides or mm. insecticides that are used, for example, for the, for the production, for the industrial style production of, of uh, soybeans, for example. Mm -hmm. So, you know, beans are very healthy. It's a high fiber, high protein kind of food. So beans are pretty, beans and lentils are probably one of the healthiest foods. But if, they, if they're produced with, um, uh, with Roundup and um, mm. all these chemicals to destroy um, the things the around bugs, them, yeah, yeah. in increasing amounts, <clears throat> you now start, um, you know, having the opposite effect. You're, you're killing certain microbes and um, many of these um, insecticides and uh, herbicides, they do have an effect on the microbes. They, they do not have a direct effect on our gut cells. So that's been worked out in early studies. That's why they were FDA approved. But they do have an effect on the, on the microbes. Mm. And that science has not been pursued in a, in a great way. Um, and what effect this ultimately has on um, 
you know, like so, so, so for example, the Central Valley in California has an epidemic of Parkinson's disease. Really, Central Valley in California. Yeah. So the main producer of vegetables. Um, so if you're a vegetarian, you would think, oh, this is the place you know where all my food comes from. But it is produced in an industrial agricultural style, you know, with oh. with these um, um, with the Roundup. It's not so people are always worried about the genetically engineered food. I don't think we have evidence that that by itself is actually harmful, even though we may not have the latest, the last answers on that. But the problem is that, that what's been thrown onto these the chemicals plants, on the top chemicals. of the plants. So wait, the Central Valley in California is the highest density of Alzheimer's? Is that what you're of saying? Parkinson's. Of Parkinson's, sorry. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an epidemic in that area. So a colleague of mine, UCLA, studies that population. and <clears throat> Because they're getting their food from that location. Well, they're exposed. So first of all, the people are exposed. You know, these dust croppers fly over. Uh, these, and so it's just exposed in the air it's, as well. It's, it's exposed in the air. Huh. Um, probably, you know, uh, possibly the water as well. Um, but then these foods, you know, have on the surface uh, residues of, of these increasing amounts of chemicals that are being sprayed on them. Um, and the kind of washing that you do at home, you know, just like... Just like seconds, a rinse doesn't right? work. It's not going to do Really? It. Because is it baked inside the DNA of the, the vegetable or the fruit? Uh, it's, or? it's what the chemical reaction is and the physical reaction between these, huh. these uh, herbicides. And it's multiple. It's, it's, it's pesticides and herbicides um, you know, that are both sprayed on these plants uh, that, um, <clears throat> wow. that probably play a big role. So if, if you're a vegetarian or a vegan... I think you need to be concerned about the source where your food comes from. Where, uh, you know, wow, and Parkinson's is the, is that the, uh, what's that disease? Is that the physical? Yeah, um, so Parkinson's is a neurodegenerative like disease. Neuro. The advanced classical symptoms. like the symptoms. shaking, yeah, like the, the, shaking, the, the tightness. The, the, yeah, the gait, um, the posture, um, you know, the compromised walking. Wow. So, um, but but that's, that's the end result, you know, the... This disease in the majority of people starts in the gut, in the nervous system of the gut. Um, so the first degenerations huh. happen at the gut level, and then they migrate, these degenerative bodies, these Lewy bodies, they migrate up the, the vagus nerve into the nucleus of the vagus nerve in the brainstem, and from there later, you know, to higher centers, emotional regulation. Wow. Are you able to reverse Parkinson's then through diet or once you... Well, this is the big hope. So the time from when the damage first shows up in your gut to the time it shows up in your brain can be up to 14 years. Oh. So there's a long, a wide open window where you can do interventions. Um, and, you know, with that's, that's where the time where dietary interventions would have the biggest effect. I don't think that once it has affected you and you develop depression and gait abnormalities that you can reverse this, you know, with, with diet alone. Um, there's, you know, there's obviously the medications that we have. In the future, there may be other ways of doing it, but uh, <clears throat> for now, the biggest hope is that, that we can diagnose this early. Uh, they see it, the first symptoms. And so one of the first symptoms is it's kind of interesting is a new onset constipation because when these nerves in the gut are affected, 
it doesn't function as properly anymore. Wow. 99% of physicians and patients will not make that connection. This is the first sign wow. of, of uh, Parkinson's. Constipation, like consistent constipation. Yeah, first onset in somebody who never had that problem. When you've never had it before, gotcha. You know what's interesting? I'm going to share a personal, pro- a personal problem with you. <laughs> uh, when I was 16, I had eight teeth removed. I had my wisdom teeth removed and then four other teeth. I was supposed to get braces. They were doing it to create gaps, spaces, mm-hmm, so that I could mm-hmm. get braces. I never got the braces until 20 years later, I decided to finally get Invisalign. They're not in right now. I take them out during interviews. And my jaw or my mouth or my teeth started to grow in a way where my back teeth never touched after that moment. So for 20 years, my back teeth never clenched down. It was just the front two teeth. And it would be very tiring to chew with just your front two teeth. Mm. So I would just swallow things after a few bites. And sometimes I would have like, you know, it would be constipation because like it was just whole foods in my gut Mm -hmm. and it was hard to break down. And in the last two years, I've been finally able to chew again fully. And it's crazy the ability to just flow, you know, when I go to the bathroom as opposed to feeling that. I'm curious if I did some long-term damage to my gut. It wasn't always like that, but I wonder if there is hope that I could reverse some of that, whatever damage I might have done internally. Well, let me ask you, what kind of diet are you on? Are you in a- Now I'm pretty healthy, yeah. I would say I'm 80% healthy, conscious. On the weekends, you know, have and- a pizza, have sugar, have some ice cream. But you know, omnivore or carnivore? I eat meat, yeah, yeah. yeah. I eat fish and, and chicken mostly. So there, there's an interesting side to that. So... Um, our stomach is, is, is very capable of breaking down foods mechanically. Mm. So if, if you don't chew things properly, the stomach will handle a lot of this. and the, we'll the, compress. The, and yeah, and the stomach then has a, a mechanism, almost like a filter. You won't let any particle leave the stomach until it's one millimeter uh, really? in, in, in diameter. To go down through the intestine. Yeah. So it goes into the stomach first. And then through the small intestine, through yeah. the large intestine, yeah. Yeah. and then, then where? Um, well, in the large intestine, it's being stored, and then ultimately you expel it with your you Expel it. Is that the whole gut, the stomach, the large and small intestine? Is that it? Comprising? Uh, it starts with the esophagus, you know. The esophagus. Um, and you could almost say, since you mentioned it, that your, you know, your oral cavity is part of it. It's, the it's first, part of the gut. It, it's, part of, it's the first step of it. I mean, there's multiple elements in, 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 uh, in your mouth and in your tongue, but you could almost say part of it is already, you know, the, the entry zone to your, to your gut. And so is that included in, in the scientific research of, like, the gut, the, the mouth and the tongue and the... Yeah, so, the, um, so, so I was telling you about these, these taste receptors, yes. you know, that were first studies on, on the tongue and then later the, uh, discovered also further downstream. Um, it's it's certainly in terms of digestion this relationship between the 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 chewing and the um, so the more you chew the faster it will leave your stomach if you mm. don't chew it the stomach could take two hours you know to break it down I'm assuming we want to chew it more we don't want it to be stored in our stomach for eight hours right we want it to process quickly is that correct um, that's probably you, you could say it's, I mean, the, the human body is so adaptable. You know, our ancestors, they might have just 
gobbled. Like if, if, Swallowed because they're starving. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if they stayed there for 24 hours, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at some animals, the way they gobble things down. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I think we're adapted to different gotcha. um, situations that we live in uh, quite well. But what, what you describe... Um, doesn't make a hundred percent sense to me that this is so related to your bowel movements. Okay. Um, but certainly, you know, because it of might this, have been diet too, because I just didn't have a good diet. It, you know, that, I was that, just eating whatever I wanted because I was young and working out all the time. I, I think that could be that more, might have been that, it. That, that okay. Be more, yeah. And now I'm eating more consciously and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> green juices and smoothies and healthier vegetables, you know, all that stuff. So, but I mean, the good thing is that you that you didn't. <laughs> You know that you died, that your constipation didn't kick in now. You know because if if you told me you always had normal bowel movements, and um, and and the constipation just set in recently out of the blue, um, I would look. So what I do in my clinic, if somebody comes to me like that, I look at their hand movements. You know, and this is characteristic pathognomonic um, movement. Um, where you where, where people use their thumb and your index fingers to have this this movement, which is characteristic for for Parkinson's disease. And if you I, see someone doing what, what's the movement? It's 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 this rolling movement um, between you know like without having anything there. Yes, like between your thumb and and your index, the first two fingers, middle yeah. finger. So if you see someone doing that kind of throughout the day or randomly, then that's a and and that person comes to me and says, God, I mean, you know, I can't believe that my bowel movements have changed so dramatically. I would and and I've done that. I've sent people like that to um, to a neurologist for an early diagnosis. Really. And, and, Several times it was correct, you know. It's so you've seen this in person before. I, I've, I've I've seen this. Yeah. You've seen people come in, usually typically men or some women as well. Um, I've seen this primarily on men. So they come in, and how old are they? What's the age range? Uh, I've seen it in their fifties, you know. And you'll notice them touching their fingers in this motion. Yeah. So then, as so, have you always That's... had this? And have you noticed this? I bet the person said, "No, I have noticed it. I haven't noticed it." Really? So you're observing this as they're telling you about yeah. their bowels or about their constipation. Mm-hmm. Really? So this has been really fascinating, and so this is why I think, um, huh? In in terms of novel therapies, you know, and what we can make a big impact on on a disease that's really devastating, is if we have these early diagnoses, we have a window before the main, so before this migration to the brain has happened, you know. Um, I mean, there's another manifestation of Parkinson's disease that people um, have this, what's called a REM sleep abnormality, um, or, um, you know, during REM sleep, you have your, these vivid dreams, and, and uh, the only reason that you don't thrash around and, and, and mm-hmm. hit your spouse <sighs> next to you right. is because the brain is a mechanism to inhibit your your motor system. So, you know, when you have these vivid dreams, you, your brain shuts off the... the your the, motor system. Yeah, the motor system. It so feels it, like you're running and jumping, but you're just late. <laughs> yeah, and so that's another thing that some patients, the spouses... So I always ask the spouses also, have you noticed there's something different um, from, uh, you know, from, from what, what you have been used to? To you that uh, you know that the person next to you hits around or falls out of bed or, or something like that, and um, so th- that's something that happens. So the REM sleep is regulated by a, a nucleus in your brainstem, very close to the vagus, um, the nucleus of the vagus, 
And that's for an indication that some of this migration has happened to the, to the brainstem. So, but if you have that abnormality, you almost have 100% certainty that you'll develop Parkinson's disease. And is there a way to reverse this? We don't know. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. So Maybe there's a way to delay it or to try to prevent... Uh, delay it. There <clears throat> could be medications to break up these degenerative right. bodies. Wow. You know. So a lot of effort going into this now. So wow. I think it's very exciting. That's crazy that you can just notice this from people and see these signs. Um, I am fascinated by all this. And I want to take it another direction for a second about... We talked about the, the gut brain connection there's a gut brain and then there's the brain and then the gut and the brain connection correct mm -hmm. but what about the gut mind connection and the way we think the mind i guess outside of the brain you know the mind or wherever you want to you know our thoughts outside of the brain what is that connection like the gut and the mind yeah so i don't, I mean, you know, this was something when I published my first book, people got fascinated by the idea, does the, the gut have a mind? You know, does the, does the gut have a mind? Does the enteric nervous system have a mind because it's similar to the, to the brain? Because the mind-gut connection was your first book. Yeah. yeah. And I would say, I don't think we have any evidence for that. But as okay. a scientist, I, I never ruled something out, you uh -huh. know, if, yeah. if we say, based on our current knowledge. Um, there were concepts about the mind... Um, you know, um, Dr. Dan Siegel, for example, who's sort of a prominent, uh, uh, you know, expert on the mind. Um, they, he also doesn't believe that the mind is a property of, of, of our big brain. It's what is the property of? It's, it's, it's a system. It's a system how a brain interacts with the environment, um, <sighs> with the people around us. Um, and there's this loop, you know, that goes so that the mind is not an isolated self. But so the self, I mean, this gets into this Buddhist discussion, yes. you know, self is kind of an, 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 an illusion. The mind is something bigger that connects us with the, the people around us, with their minds. And I would say I, I kind of like this idea, but I would include the feedback loop back to the gut. You know, so it's a, it's a brain, gut, um, mind. Um, mind and people around you that that's the system of, of the mind thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you got some value out of this if you did make sure to share this with a friend and spread the message of greatness to the people in your life you can post it on social media just tag me lewis house as well and let me know that you're listening to this and if this is your first time here click the subscribe button over on apple Podcasts or spotify as well as leave us a rating or review over on apple Podcasts and let me know the part of this interview that you enjoyed the most the part that you got the most value from this i'd love to hear your thoughts over there. And I want to leave you with this quote from Julius Irving, who said, if you don't do what's best for your body, you're the one who comes up on the short end. And that is true. It's all about having the knowledge, seeking the wisdom, and then applying the wisdom into daily practice to optimize your body. The gut and brain connection is real and it's so powerful. And I can't wait to bring you part two coming next of this powerful interview with Dr. Emerin Meyer. And I want to remind you today, if no one has told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And I'm so grateful for you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.